The scripture reading is from James 5. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains? You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If you have sinned, you'll, he, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that we have your word. We thank you that you meet with us every single week, that you meet us here with your church in a community to transform us. Lord, we know that every time we come to you, every time we meet with you, every time we sing to you, every time we pray to you, every time we hear your, your word, we are transformed. And so we expect your presence to be here. We know that you are here. And would our hearts be open, would our ears be open and receptive to your word? Be with me as I am your tool, as I am a mouthpiece of the gospel and a mouthpiece of your transformative word. I pray that you are with the people, that these are your people whom you love and greatly desire. May they hear the words and may they draw closer to you. Be with all of us as we worship you. We thank you, O God, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to the end of James. It's been um, quite a journey, for, at least for us pastors. It hasn't been an easy time preaching the message James has given to us. So if we do a quick overview, what has happened in James? First, James has started off very provocative because he says, Count it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials. It's not an encouraging word. But what has happened to this church, we find out that in this church they have experienced suffering and trials and they have been floundering. 
They have been mired in conflicts and in sins. They have been showing favoritism, partiality to the rich rather than showing grace and mercy to the poor. They've been unwise, seeking the wisdom of the world and not seeking the wisdom of the gospel. And it's been quite tough. James has been quite rebuking of this church. But as we come to the end, we see that James has not lost hope for this people. He encourages them. He doesn't think that they're different or something special is about them or they've gone through something unexpected. But he does see that they have been struggling. And so as he departs from them, as he ends this letter, he writes a letter of encouragement. He ends the letter with words of encouragement. And the one message he says is, Be patient, brothers and sisters. Remain steadfast in the Lord. And we're going to look and delve into that concept a little bit. What does it mean to stand fast in the Lord? What does it mean to be patient in the Lord? Does it mean that we simply wait and take whatever comes our way? Does it mean that we simply suck it up and just wait for the Lord to come? As we see, and as, as James explains it to us, we see that it's a little bit more complex than that. That the Christian walk is not simply a straight line, but it's a work of art. And that sometimes we need perspective and things, to, and things, and we need to understand certain things for us to stand fast in the Lord. So it's primarily, today is primarily about suffering and how we are to act in light of suffering. And the question that I'm specifically going to be focusing on is how does patiently waiting for the Lord help us during times of trial and suffering? Again, how does patiently waiting for the Lord help us with suffering and trials that come our way? So as I begin, there's one important concept that we have to understand. That being patient does not mean being passive. It does not mean that we simply wait it out. It does not mean that we do not do anything. Now, James gives us an example of a farmer, a person that patiently waits. And we think, oh, this farmer is not doing anything. He's just waiting for the rain to come. But yet, when I think of farmers, I hardly think of lazy people. When I think about farmers, they are very active. Yes, part of their job is to wait for the rains. They can only control what they can control. Yet these farmers are very proactive in waiting for the rain. They don't simply just plant the seed and say, my job is done. Now it's up to God. No, there's things to be done. And that is no different from the Christian faith. As we wait patiently for the Lord, We are to be proactive. Now, some of you may be surprised by that notion, but it's not that far off, or it's not that out of left field. You see, the whole Christian religion is dynamic. Our relationship with God is always in constant motion. God is always speaking to us, and we are always responding to God. 
Think about this worship service. It's dynamic. God calls his people. We sing songs of praise. We pray. We hear the word. We give offering. We do all these things. There is constant movement in our relationship with God. There is constant movement in our relationship with God. It would be quite weird if on Sundays we came to church and we all took a nap and then went home. You'd be like, what is the point? And I could easily say, we're being patient in the Lord. But of course, that is not what we do on Sundays. That is not what we do in the rest of our Christian lives. We are to be active. So in verse 8, the NIV is somewhat misleading. It says, um, he says, be patient and stand firm. So that seems like that we would be passive, but actually the better translation comes from the ESV, which I probably should have used in this sermon, but they're both good translations. But the ESV says, not stand firm, but it says establish your heart. It is an active verb in which we are continually establishing our hearts. And how do we do that in the midst of suffering and trial? How do we be patient? How do we be proactive in our patience? And I'm going to get to that. But there is one more thing that we have to understand. It's this. It's not a simple process. And I want us to understand that. Because how we wait patiently in the Lord is simply this. We remember that the Lord is coming back. But there's more to it than that. Because hear me what I am not saying. It is, I am not saying that as you go through pain and suffering, that by simply recalling or remembering that Jesus is coming back, that all your pain and suffering will go away. That's not how Christianity works. We are not simply recalling a fact, and then that fact is a magic bullet that takes all our pain away. That's not how it's done. When we remember and we proactively wait in the Lord, we are doing something. And it's an art. And what is it that we're doing? And here are the two things that James says that we should be doing. We should be remembering the Bible and remembering to pray. Remembering the Bible and remembering to pray. Now, just a quick note on remembering. Again, remembering in the biblical sense is not simply factual recall. It is not three times two is six, I remembered that. In the Bible, remembering and knowing is a much more involved process. It is our whole soul and body engaging with the knowledge that Jesus Christ is coming back. And how do we do that? First, remembering the Bible. As James is talking, and he's saying being patient in the brothers, uh, be, brothers, be patient, he says this. He says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience, in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Here, James doesn't say, just be patient or suck it up. He says, 
look to the prophets and look to Job as an example of how to suffer, of how to persevere. And I guarantee if you go to those books, if you go to those prophets, you will not simply see one sentence that says, Jesus is coming back, it's all good. It's much more involved. Perseverance is an art, and we go through many stages and many feelings. And a person who is adept at suffering in the way that the prophet suffers is probably the one who is able to endure the longest. What do we find in the prophets? For many of you, you may be suffering because of the acts of Christians. You may be suffering because you have been you have felt outcasted by the church. You may feel that Christians are not, are not preaching the gospel. You may feel that Christians are not doing their call. I would encourage you to read Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, in which we find in 52 chapters, Jeremiah weeping and crying over the people of Israel, the people of God. Yet in those 52 chapters, what we see is not weakness. What we see is strength. We see Jeremiah persevering in the fact that the Lord will one day come. Here we see an example of how we persevere. Are you suffering with pain over the injustices of the world? Learn to cry out like Amos did. Amos does not simply yell and scream, there, though there is plenty of that. But he is also able to hold on to the coming knowledge that Jesus Christ will return and judge the earth. That is his hope, that is his inspiration, and that is, his, that is the foundation in which he builds everything off of. Are you in poverty, suffering economic adversity, are you disillusioned with the promises of God? Read Malachi. Here, are, here is a people that they thought that by rebuilding the temple that the glories of Israel would come back. But what they see is it doesn't. Rather than not only coming back, they are suffering. They have fallen on tough economic times, and they have felt like that God's promises simply are not enough. Are you suffering in that manner? Read Malachi and understand the complexity of feelings that are there. And Job, James seems to really like the story of Job. And here I just want to offer you a glimpse. If these are the people who are examples of the faith, if these are people who are examples of perseverance, it may not be what we think. I think the American way of persevering is by sucking it up, and at the end, you're happy. Or at the end, you're smiling. But we do not find that in the Bible. We see that it's much more complex than that. The goal of all suffering is that we will become stronger in our faith. That doesn't necessarily mean a smile will come to our face. It does mean that we will have greater hope and that we will love the Lord more. Listen to Job, and I just wanted to read this to you to show how intricate this is. 
and how difficult it is. In Job chapter 3, this is the time when Job has felt the wrath of God. Everything has been taken to him, has been taken from him. And here in chapter 3, we see Job's response to all of it. And mind you, it doesn't say, hallelujah, praise God for everything. God has a plan. Here's chapter 3. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with kings and rulers of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins with princes who had gold who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There the wicked cease from turmoil, and there the weary are at rest. Captives also enjoy their ease, and they no longer hear the slave drivers shout. The small and the great are there, and the slaves are freed from their owners. Job is saying he'd rather be dead than alive. That is chapter 3. There's a lot more chapters. It doesn't get much brighter, but here we see Job is a person who persevered. So it's not about keeping these emotions in or just sucking it up or making, uh, trying to be stronger or trying to figure out these problems. It's about being open to God and being honest with your feelings and learning how to suffer, learning how to speak, learning how to convey to the Christian community and to God what you are feeling. Once we as a church become good at this, we will learn to persevere well. And James understood this, that in order to persevere, that in order to move forward in the Christian life, that we would have to understand the complexities of us as human beings and the complexities of our souls. We must establish our hearts We must see how the scriptures speak of certain trials and tribulations. And we will see that it's not so easy or so simple. But each of these prophets, each of these pieces of scripture point to the reality that Jesus is coming back. And I don't have time to make the connection, but they all saw the connection. They all were able to understand the suffering in this world and somehow connected to the coming of Jesus and find hope and find peace. So that is one aspect we do. We read the scriptures. And we don't just try to recall them, but we try to know them with our body and our soul. There's also something else we do. We perpetually pray. We pray all the time. Prayer is a powerful force that will sustain us through the toughest of times. And we see that. James, after he talks about, look at these examples, he goes right into the next verses and says what? He says, James says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. The power of prayer is that the more you engage in it, the stronger your soul becomes. James says that we should 
pray in season and out of season. We must always be praying so that we can endure these trials and sufferings. And what I'm going to do is now I'm going to equate prayer with another act that I enjoy doing, which is running. And I want to make, because prayer sometimes can be ambiguous and what's going on there, but I want to compare it to running. And I think I have a legitimate, um, I have a legitimate license to do that. Because in Hebrews 12.1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so the Christian life, I'm saying, is one of prayer and one of endurance, and prayer is one of those aspects of enduring. Now, why do I make this connection? Say I'm training for a marathon and that a marathon is coming. And everybody knows a marathon is tough. Like the Christian life is tough. But say my training plan is this, that the only time that I'm going to run is when I'm sick or not feeling well. Because that's when my body's unhealthy. I got to make it healthy again, so I run. Will I be ready for the marathon? The answer is no. No. But let's go to the other extreme. What if I only ran when I felt good. For me, I probably would never run then. I never feel like running. But there are people who would only run if they felt good. There are people who only pray when crisis hits. There are people who only pray when they feel good or when things are going correctly. But James is saying, no, you need to pray continuously. You need to pray constantly because that is how your soul becomes stronger and more in tune with God. And there's an added benefit of prayer. It not only helps your soul, but it helps the community's soul as well. Here's where the analogy between running and prayer breaks down. See, when I run, I only benefit myself. Actually, when I read scripture, only my soul is being changed and being toughened up. But the interesting is that when we pray, my soul is strengthening and other people's souls are strengthening as well. Prayer is one of those miraculous acts that the more we do it, it's not that only our individual selves get stronger, other people get stronger. That's why James doesn't just say pray for yourselves or pray as individuals. He says pray for everybody. Verse 16, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, a lot of people are saying, what's going on here? Is the oil magical? Whatever. Let's not focus on that. The main thing is that the elders are coming and they're praying for other souls in order to be restored. It is an amazing act that we as Christians get to engage in because it not only strengthens our souls, it strengthens the souls of others. And maybe we don't take advantage of it enough. If a super athlete could do all the training and running, and that would ensure that I would be fit enough to run the marathon, I would be thrilled. But here in prayer, what we have is this aspect where we not only pray for ourselves, but we're able to pray for others. And now look, this is not only for elders. Because James goes on to say, it says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. What does that mean? It's not that the only the elders are the ones to pray. It is everyone who is righteous and who is righteous. It, are the, it is those who Christ has justified. 
It is those who believe that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior and who have been proclaimed as sons and daughters. Every person who is in Christ is justified. And so we pray. We pray for our own souls and we pray for the souls of others. And then we get stronger. And we're able to endure the Christian life. And we're able to do these things well. But some might ask, what is, what is prayer actually doing? You're talking about all these benefits. You're talking about my soul strengthening. What is actually happening when we pray? Brothers and sisters, when you pray, you are encountering Jesus Christ. You are conversing with the most holy Son of God. When you do that, you are forever changed. Every time you come to Jesus, your soul is being changed. Now I admit, sometimes it's not spectacular. Sometimes it's not this great emotional revival that's happening when we pray. But brothers and sisters, you can believe that when you pray, something is changing. Just like when you run, no matter how many times you run, you could have never run. The one time you run, your body has changed. When you pray, your soul has changed. Remember what you are doing when you pray. You are coming face to face, soul to soul with the living God, and you are asking him to intervene into your life. This is the person who loves you so dearly. This is the person who died on the cross so that you would be with him forever. The reality in James's community is this. And in our community, sin clings to our souls. Sin loves our body. I go back to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and it says this, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Every time we come to the Lord in prayer, we are exposed to a holiness that our sin cannot stand. And every time we pray, our sin gets less and less powerful, and we are filled more and more with the Spirit. So the less we pray, the more the sin grows in our body. And what we see in chapters 2 to 4, and what we see in James, is the outworking of sin clinging onto our hearts and taking over our churches. Brothers and sisters, we need to pray because that is a special time in where we encounter the most holy and living God and we lift up our souls to one another. And even though I may not pray in certain experiences, if all of you are praying for my soul, I know my soul is still guarded from the effects of sin. That is how powerful a tool prayer is. 
But if we are all engaged in this act, if we all together are coming before Jesus as one, praying for one, one another, praying that we may confess our sins, praying that we would experience Christ's holiness, we would become a church that is loving and that is beautiful and truly a salt and light in this generation. And more than anything, we will persevere. The Christian life is tough. The Christian life is hard. And each one of our sufferings is different and unique. I am not going to even pretend that I understand or have the capacity to understand all this pain and suffering that you might be going through. But I do know that Jesus understands. I do know that whatever pain or, or trial that you are going through, it is that emotion, maybe not the exact event, but the emotion is found in Scripture. It truly is. And we must learn, not from me, not from David, but we must learn from Christ himself, who is found in the word, who is found in prayer, and we must learn to persevere as Christ desires us to. We come to a God who understands, who sympathizes, and who has given us every power, every ability to succeed. And so I pray for you, ACC, that we may be a church that knows and remembers the scriptures, and that we may be a church that remembers to pray. Because when the suffering comes, the goal is not smiles on our faces, but the goal is for all of us to raise our hands and say, glory to the most high God, we await your return. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, what an awesome act it is to come and know that we are speaking to you. Who are we, O oh God, that you would listen to us, that you would meet with us, that you would become married to us? We are unworthy and we are sinners, but yet that did not stop you. And so we pray, O oh God, that we would continually meet with you, that we would be strengthened by your presence, that we would be able to have souls that are able to endure the trials and sufferings that will come our way. Lord, we know that sin is close at hand, but we pray, O oh God, that you would get rid of it that you would make the power of sin so weak and the power of your love so strong that we continually come to you. Father, be our guide. Lord, we're tired. But we know you are not tired. And we know that you love us and you have a great place for us in heaven. And so may we keep that as our focus and may we be strengthened by you. We thank you, O oh God, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.